Yeah, I, I, I am optimistic. Um, it is always nervous making when you say we are going to transition in a way over the next decade or two decades that we can't necessarily tell you every detail of how we're going to get there. That always creates, you know, if I'm was going to build a car and I've built 10,000 cars, I could tell you how I'm going to build that car. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to build something else and I've got a lot of great ideas, but I can't tell you exactly how <laughs> it creates, you know, it's more, more nervous making, yeah. but the fact, the extent to which that is, is, is prompting innovation, I think is extremely, um, you know, it's really, it's cause for optimism. There are so many smart people out there and we're seeing the innovations come daily. So yeah, I am optimistic. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper. Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today has been the receiver of a plethora of awards. He is a respected thought leader and the CSO of an organization that is a Fortune 500 technology company. He was named as one of the most influential executives in the pressing subject of corporate purpose and sustainability. His organization is known for delivering aerospace products and services, control technologies for buildings and industry, and performance materials globally. In fact, this corporation's collective technology helps aircraft, buildings, manufacturing plants, supply chains and workers become more connected and thus create the three S's. Make the world safer, smarter and more sustainable. A fascinating conversation awaits my listeners today, but before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Evan Van Hook is the Chief Sustainability Officer of Honeywell. In 2022, he was named by Constellation Research as one of the world's 50 most influential executives in the field of ESG and also to the American Energy Society 500 Global Sustainability Thought Leaders. Prior to Honeywell, Evan was a partner at the law firm Sidley and Austin and the Assistant Commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. He sits on a number of boards and has taught international environmental law at Columbia Law School, lectured at the United Nations ITR, and was a credentialed observer at the UNFCCC COP23 and 24. To continue to Evan's accomplishments, he is a published author and is the co-author of the 2019 International Environmental Law, a case study analysis. 
Let's now have a conversation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Evan to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us today. That's a pleasure. Really happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. Um, okay, let's talk about the Environmental Sustainability Index that was um, released on the 20th of October, 2022. Briefly tell my listeners about this press release and initiative. Um, what is this survey and what methods were used to gather the data? And thereafter, if you can, um, what were the takeaways from the index? Certainly, and I, I do believe it's an index that leads itself to key takeaways because I think the primary intent of this index is to sort of go behind the headlines of sustainability. The last couple of years, there have been a lot of headlines, particularly around corporations making aggressive and very important, important commitments to mm -hmm. sustainability. Um, and what I think this index does is it surveyed more than 600 of the professionals who are actually driving those commitments mm -hmm. and sort of digging deeper into, okay, you've made that commitment. How does that look from the inside? How, mm -hmm. how have you been doing? How optimistic are you about how you're going to do in the future? Mm -hmm. How is the level of investment in this area? What types of methods and means are you using to achieve these commitments that you've made? So again, I think it's a very, as, as a, a CSO and a professional in this area, I find it a very useful insight because anyone can see the headlines. But what you really want to do, again, is go behind those headlines and try to find out what's what's really happening. Mm. And in terms of key uh, takeaways, the things that I found most um, important were the following. First of all, it's very clear from the survey that sustainability ranks very high in the estimation of corporations in terms of objectives, purpose, purpose commitments, uh, important areas of focus. Sustainability ranks very high across the spectrum of things that they uh, have to do. Um, along with that, we also saw a very broad uh, intention to increase budgets for sustainability. And mm -hmm. I think that's incredibly important because again, you know, where the rubber meets the road is how are you investing in achieving these commitments and the very broad sentiment was that budgets for these commitments is increasing and increasing fairly substantially mm -hmm. um it also says which i think is is uh something that is an important takeaway and something to remember but also to sort of put in context it overwhelmingly showed the importance of climate and climate change as the key issue in sustainability right now. I get a little bit afraid that people will start conflating sustainability with climate change as if there are no other issues. Mm -hmm. But that being said, climate change is the most pressing issue right now. Mm -hmm. And it's an issue that has very broad uh, requirements in order to meet 
what our objectives. And so it's not surprising, but I think those are two things to keep in mind. First of all, is that if you're focusing on sustainability, climate change is the dominant issue, but also you don't wanna forget that there are other issues that we are going to um, you know, need to focus on. And then um, a couple other issues, I, I sort of like to take the insights and sort of pair them up and say, gee, how does this make sense with that? And there's two issues that I think are, are very interesting, um, which say a lot about the need for innovation in this area and the impetus for innovation. And that's the following. First of all, you see an interesting drop off in optimism on, on achieving sustainability objectives as you go in time from the past 12 months to the near term to mm -hmm. the longer term out to say 2030. And what the overwhelming majority of the respondents said was they, they feel really good about how they have progressed over the last 12 months. They're a little bit less optimistic about the next 12 months. And the optimism drops still further as you start looking out near longer term. And I like to sort of pair that with the insight that as these respondents have started their sustainability journey, they have focused more on behavioral and process change. These are things like when you leave for the day, you have to turn off your computers, mm -hmm. maybe installing lights that turn off when you leave the room. Those things that say, we can use less energy just by changing our behavior, which is absolutely true. Honeywell mm -hmm. did a lot of that. And they are much less focused on the technology. And when I think about those two insights, decreased optimism and more current reliance on behavior, what I sort of see is people have worked their way through the behavioral and process changes, and they're starting to confront some of those more difficult to achieve transitions. The things like the fuel switching, the renewable energy, the energy storage through batteries, the things that, you know, once you, once you pare away the behavior, which is very, very important, you do need to address those more technologically difficult areas. And that's what's spurring some of the most important innovation right now. And I, I suppose that's probably why the optimism level has dropped somewhat because it required just a little bit of extra work in order to, to do that. It's not just turning right. off lights, it requires just that tad bit more work and change and therefore the optimism levels um, will decrease somewhat. Uh, out of curiosity, um, what was the criteria to be involved in the survey? You talked about 600 plus uh, professionals. I've actually looked at the survey, it's 653. So what was the criteria involved in this? How uh, well be involved? Sure, the main criteria was that these had to be people who were directly involved in implementing these sustainability commitments that had been made. This mm -hmm. is not talking to the CEOs, for example. This is talking to, which obviously the CEOs are the key drivers of 
this is, you know, without the CV, CEO's vision yep. and support, including at Honeywell, nothing happens. But this really talked to the people whose job it is to take that commitment, roll up their sleeves and get it done. Okay. And I think that's a critically important um, criterion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, and just to add to that for my listeners, um, in, in the actual survey details, it talked about having a, an organization that has over a thousand active employees working yes, in that absolutely. Space in order yep. to deliver that. Um, the survey had priority categories. Um, what were your respondents' main priorities and what did they outline in the survey? Right, absolutely. And there, I think um, that the strong message that comes through is what I mentioned before, but maybe I'll expand on it a little bit, is, is climate. And some of the reasons why I think that that's uh, so clear is, uh, first of all, I do believe that it is not just a belief, it's uh, empirically, you can see that the broader population is seeing the effects of climate change more Mm -hmm. regularly now. We are on a daily basis seeing reports of severe drought, severe Mm -hmm. flooding, um, uh, invasive species, um, problems in the the oceans, um, melting of the polar ice caps, and frequently in that coverage, uh, it's mentioned they they bring in scientists who talk about the extent to which this can be attributed to climate change, or that this is the kind of thing that you are likely to see more of with climate change. Um, I spend much of my time in Manhattan, and almost daily, there is Mm -hmm. discussion around the fact that rising sea levels are going to put parts of Manhattan increasingly at risk, Mm -hmm. and we hear about it. And so it's very much in people's, in the broader public's um, mindset now. And that of course has translated through to shareholders, institutional shareholders, customers, and the market. Mm. So there's just a, a real groundswell, I think, of demand for attention to climate. But also climate is one of those environmental issues that is truly global. Um, there are certain aspects of the environment that no matter where there is a, uh, let's say, a contribution or an emission into the environment, uh, the effect is global. It doesn't matter where greenhouse gases are emitted. The mm-hmm. impact is a global impact because it aff- the, all of the greenhouse gases no, sort right. of have a cumulative <laughs> effect. And so this is an issue that reaches everywhere in the world. This is not an issue as important as issues are like um, diversity of uh, you know, biodiversity, um, water shortages. These, uh, these are things which of course are connected to climate change as well, but this is climate change is something that is truly global. And it's also, reaches into every individual's and every entity's capacity to affect it. We all have carbon emissions. We don't all emit toxic chemicals, for example. We all have carbon emissions. Every business, every transportation means, every individual. Mm -hmm. And so as we go forward to deal with this problem, 
we will all be involved. So for all those reasons, I think that this is, um, it's not surprising that this is overwhelmingly the top issue on people's agendas. And maybe one quick thing I'll also say about that is that the last glo truly global issue that we had in the environmental area was the ozone layer. And, you know, it's, it's important to remember that once the challenge to the ozone layer was, was understood, we did manage to come up with a global approach through the Montreal Protocol. We implemented mm -hmm. it and there has been tremendous improvement in the ozone layer. And what that says, and I think this message has to be constantly sort of um, you know, spoken about, mm -hmm. is that, that we can do this. We can do this as a species. We are capable of understanding that there is a global issue that we have to participate in and we can fix it. So um, that's, that is the number one. Some of the other ones like um, uh, pollution prevention and emissions reductions, extremely important. But again, they tend to affect a smaller segment of society. They tend to affect industry, for example, that is managing hazardous uh, chemicals or toxins. And so incredibly important, but not quite as universal in their application. And then the last one I think that is really interesting is circularity. Mm. And that came lower on the priority, not because I think people think it's less important, but because it's newer and it's a little bit harder for people to get their heads around it. It, it really almost entails a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. we, we have tended to think of the resource pathway as a one-way street from extraction to manufacture to use to disposal in a landfill. Mm -hmm. And it all goes one way. Well, it doesn't take too long to realize that you're not going to be able to do that forever. And the notion of circularity is that we have to both increase the, uh, the time that our, uh, that our implement, that, that the things we use can stay in those different stages and particularly the use stage. How can we extend the life of what we're using? But then also once it's useful, life is done, how can those resources be put back into the economy in a circular fashion so that they were not constantly extracting from the same resource base? Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's a really important issue. And um, it's probably one of the ones that's gonna be very much looming uh, on, the, on the horizon. Um, you know, yeah. once, I don't say once climate change is fixed, but, and, and Honeywell's pretty involved in uh, circularity, both through um, lifetime extension of assets, but also um, advanced chemical recycling of plastics. So. Hmm. That's that's sort of the priorities that we saw. Thanks for that. Um, I was looking at you know as one of the press people, you get all these details. I, I was looking at that with interest in, in terms of the priorities and the, the sustainability and categories that were established uh, that you've just mentioned. And I was I was trying to get a sense of um, the sectors or the industries that have prioritised one um, over the, over the other. You mentioned the circularity recycling. 
um, category has been the lowest. I think it was only 20, 28% of the respondents mm -hmm. that as their priority. What sectors are we talking about? We, is it just retail? What sectors are we talking about with that one? Mean in terms of uh, prioritizing it more yes. lowly or prioritizing yeah. that over say energy evolution and efficiency. Sure. No, that's that is a great question. And that sort of goes to the enterprise of sustainability in general. Mm. When we look at the index, what we're doing is, as you said, surveying a lot of people who do this and then trying to find overall trends. But the way an individual entity approaches sustainability is by starting with a materiality assessment and saying, what are my yes. most important impacts? And you know, the way it the way it, it should work is once you identify what your most important impacts are, those should be the ones that you work on. And um, so, uh, you know, often if you are an energy company, for example, if you are a, an, a, an electricity generator, mm. prob probably your aspects will align with <clears throat> what the public at large views as the most important, which is climate, mm. because your job is to take fuels combust them or generate energy from them. And often that's been fossil fuels. So that's an alignment there. But if you are, for example, a, um, an entity that, uh, for example, does, um, uh, let's say you own arenas across the country and have, uh, and have you know, tens of thousands of people coming mm -hmm. and consuming uh, you know, food in, in, in plastic pit plates and cups so that there's just a mountain yeah. of plastics. And you look across your, your, your enterprise, you might say, um, and without getting too technical from a scope one and scope two uh, greenhouse gas perspective, maybe, you know, my emissions are not super high, but I've got a huge issue with plastic. Yeah. And so from a circularity perspective, I'd want to say, how can I get in there and do something about that? Um, and so, um, so that's that's where that's where I think you see it as the ones that have um, that have a uh, the, mm. where where circularity is the the highest impact of theirs. That's what they should focus on. Right. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, uh, looking at the findings in the report, uh, many respondents, mm -hmm. in fact. So 62% state that they will achieve their goals over the next year by modifying their processes, behaviors, and via technical upgrades. You know, you've talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, I want to know in your experience, which is the hardest? You've given an indication that the upgrades are the hardest and the innovation is the hardest. Uh, if I was to ask, if I was asked that question in isolation, I would look at behavior mindset. That's a very hard thing to change. Ooh. Am I wrong, Evan, in, in thinking that? Yeah, that's, that's another terrific question. And I'll tell you, um, <clears throat> we, start, we started our journey in 2004. And when we started it, our CEO at the time was uh, implementing a comprehensive um, company-wide 
management system, which was very aligned to what are called lean principles. It's uh, you're probably familiar with them. It's a, a, a lean lean management is mm -hmm. a way of of enterprise uh, sort of um, structure, and um, one of the innovations that we had, and I think it was, you know, we're, we're proud of it here, is since we started our sustainability program at virtually the same time, we were able to build sustainability directly into that core operating system. And that operating system is continuing today. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we now call it Accelerator. And it's that same mindset. Now, the reason I say all that is because exactly what you said, how difficult is it to change behavior and mindsets? And what we really drew on was, at least to my mind, the last time there was a major shift in industrial, psychological and behavioral approach was the quality revolution of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And there was, it was really a very kind of fortuitous coming together of really great thinkers, people like Demings and people willing like Toyota to take those insights and work them into an industrial process. So they could take large scale manufacturing and instill a culture that resulted in a culture of quality. Mm -hmm. So that when you came in, and this is sort of the objective of a lean system, everyone was engaged in the enterprise of creating quality. And there are tools that help you get there but the real power of the tools is to create the culture yes. so that I really know that I'm planning and I really know that, Hey, if I can do this better, I have a way to make it better. And, you know, there's that great kind of um, uh, sort of uh, trope from, um, from lean, which says it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of yes. acting. Yes. And I, I think that was a great insight because I think what the quality revolution did was it gave a lot of like things to do, but the ultimate result was to say, do these things and you'll start to see that I can see how I can work in a way that creates quality. And we, we at Honeywell tried to do that with sustainability. We built it directly into the core operating. We had a system where anyone could find in particularly, you know, those behavioral things that could change or sometimes not just behavioral, but kind of small bore um, implementation or, or, you know, very small capital or expense things. One thing which was a huge insight was almost every factory in the world uses tons of compressed air. They have systems that compress the air and then use it for all kinds of things, pressure testing, mm -hmm. cleaning. And, you know, these factories are just full of these hoses and most of them are leaking like crazy. <laughs> and 
one insight, you know, again, it sounds silly, but was just let's fix them. And so, you know, this is not going to be a front page, you know, story, but they're going to go out there and fix. And we just saved so much energy Mm -hmm. and money Mm -hmm. by just fixing our compressed air. And so, you know, it's sort of like, I guess, I don't want to go on too long, but it's just, it's something I feel very passionate about that I really do think that if you are going to change the culture in an enterprise, you have to take it with that same level of intensity that the quality revolution brought. And then, you know, still then, you know, behavior is not going to allow you to do the transition from natural gas to hydrogen. That's innovation, <laughs> you know, and then so you're going to come to these things that say, you know, we need the big ticket, yeah. uh, okay. you know, stuff oh. there. So Okay. Um, I, the next one, briefly, if you can, because we've got sure. a few questions to get to. Sorry, through. I get too passionate. <laughs> no no worries, no worries. Um, it, it's, I, I'd just be interested to know um, how have all of your findings been received by your respondents and partners? If you can provide us with some feedback, that'd be great. Sure, sure. It, it is still early, early days, but I will say that we are um, uh, getting um, the, the people that I interact with are very interested about it. And what I do are in the index and what I do here, again, it's sort of like what I started out with. We are all, I'm a CSO, all of us that are involved with trying to drive these goals, we all see the headlines. And we have a very strong hunger for those things that go behind the headlines to give us insights of how are we doing? Mm-hmm. How's our budget? What should we be working on? So I think there's going to be, th- thus far, what I've seen uh, has been a lot of uh, enthusiasm. Okay, that's good. That is good. And you, you kind of answered <laughs> the next question, which is brilliant, and that allows me to move on further. And the next question pretty much was, you know, what the C- CSOs, um, need to do over the next decade to, to drive and control this change. I think you kind of covered a lot of that in in terms of what you're, you've just mentioned. Um, let's move on. Um, in the press release, you stated that um, ESG managers, this is a quote from you, ESG managers have energy evolution and efficiency on their agendas. And you were quite happy about that. And then mm-hmm. you talked about the, the win-win situation um, of change. Of, of, of the change resulting from sort of a, the high return on investments and sort of optimal operational processes and reduce of energy. you know, all of this is good stuff. And mm-hmm. you just talked about this, but um, I, I wanna know with all this information, why is there still, even still now, um, mindset change that's still required in an organization? And how, how do you even just kickstart this to get it all sorted? Right. Well, um, I guess I'd say a couple things. Um, first of all, I do believe that um, the mindset, it's sort of like, you know, when you are, um, you know, when you, when you see it every day, you might think, you know, like, well, gee, are things really changing? I'll tell you, from my perspective, the mindset has changed so dramatically since the time I've been in this, which is again, since 2004. So I think the mindset change has been, um, has already been pretty uh, advanced. But what I do think is that people need a lot of help to get started. And um, 
that I think it's just the whole eating an elephant, you know, story. It's it it seems awfully confusing and scary if mm-hmm. it you know if if you're standing outside it. So I really think that first of all, a lot of help getting started. Um, we have done thousands and thousands of projects, and we are saving over a hundred million dollars on an annualized basis. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, there's a, you know, there, there's some real upside to an aggressive sustainability program. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I would say for people that are, you know, kind of coming later to this, back in 2004, I hate to admit it, but it was a lot of duct tape and Excel spreadsheets. And the fact that now, if you are starting to get your hands around sustainability, the tool set is so much more advanced um, that, you know, now's a good time to get into it. Okay, let's let's talk a bit more about Honeywell. You, you sure. mentioned it um, in the conversation, but let's talk a bit more about Honeywell Sustainability Operations. Um, for my listeners, it started in 2004. Um, you were committed to becoming carbon neutral in operations and facilities by 2035. If you can summarize this, if you can possibly yeah. summarize this, I doubt you, <laughs> but let's, let's give it a go. What does that entail? Sure. You Absolutely. About the accelerator, but you know, if you can sort of summarize that. Absolutely. Well, I think that, you know, a good place to start is the fact that since t- 2004, we have reduced our greenhouse gas intensity by more than 90%. So mm. what that says to me is this, you know, these seeds we planted in 2004 have grown into a fairly robust tree that, and so first of all, we are going to continue to rely on that process, which drives improvements every year. Now that's what's gonna stay the same some of the things that as we look forward, we're taking a much more aggressive approach to renewable energy. Mm-hmm. I think that all of the aspects of renewable energy, and that's generation, transmission, distribution, storage, are going to see incredible evolution. Um, they already have, and they're going to continue, and we are going to be very much part of that. Mm-hmm. And then there are some of the other really, um, you know, big innovation. One thing, and it's not just here to talk about, you know, Honeywell, we are involved in a lot of the really big transitions that everyone has to get. Hydrogen. Hydrogen mm-hmm. is one of the really big transitions that everyone's working on. And we are very deeply involved in blue and green hydrogen technology. Um, carbon capture and storage is another one which is going to have to be perfected. And I should actually say carbon capture use and storage. Mm-hmm. Um, we again happen to be very involved in that. And one of the things that I think is kind of the hallmark going forward for us is we want to increasingly use our operations as essentially a laboratory for these for these uh, for these uh, options, and we're doing that. We are saying where can we use these options um, in our own facilities to help improve. So, so those are some of the things that we're looking hard at. You know, much more aggressive renewable energy, keep that tree growing strong, and then mm-hmm. delve into these you know 
more cutting edge kind of areas to, mm -hmm. to finish it out. Oh, um, I can't believe you summarized that, but I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's continue with, you, you mentioned hydrogen, thanks for um, talking about that. And I, I wanna sort of focus particularly, particularly on um, your fleet vehicles, and that sounds really strange, mm -hmm. solely because of the, the series that Headstock is currently in, we're in the automotive series. And I, I just wanna ask the question, what's happening there? Sure. Um, Honeywell doesn't have an enormous fleet. We're not one of those, you know, companies like a logistics company where that is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. But it's we still have a fleet and we have a plan in place to go 100 percent electric on that fleet. And we've already started. We're doing pilots. And, uh, you know, over the next couple of years, we're going to be going 100 percent electric and we're experimenting things like where is it you know where is it best to um increase our own electricity electrical capacity at our facilities so we can accommodate more chargers mm -hmm. when are we going to be putting charges in people's homes and things like that so i, I feel very confident that that we're going to get there but that that's in some ways in some ways it's a little bit low-hanging fruit because mm -hmm. you know the technology is there it's just getting out and doing it hmm. Okay, good, good. Let's now talk about a topic that is very much what Headstock is all about. Um, and that is the relationship between C-suites, the, the morphing of the roles and activities in the, in the boardrooms. And I've had some great conversation with C-suites in, in that space, and I, I'm sure this will add to it. The, the, the Chief Sustainability Officer is one of the younger chiefs in, in the boardroom. Alongside, for example, um, Chief Digital Officer, and oh, that's sometimes embedded in the CIO's department, but sometimes it stands on its own. And um, how is this role growing and morphing with the current situation we are facing around the globe? Yeah, it's a terrific, terrific question. Um, I think that probably um, you're going to see some slightly different flavors depending on the type of organization. Mm -hmm. But I'll speak first of all about a, a, a manufacturing organization, which is Honeywell. Mm -hmm. uh, we are, you know, a, 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 a cyber industrial uh, company and heavy in software and also heavy in, in, in manufacturing. I will say, first of all, I do believe, particularly if you're heavy in manufacturing, that it's kind of good for the CSO to have a grounding in the manufacturing itself. And uh, CSOs come from different areas. Um, I come, I spent some time in government in the environmental area. And then when I came to Honeywell, I also happened to manage our facilities, health, safety, and environmental uh, program and have spent an awful lot of time in the plants I feel like I've got a good understanding of, 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 of manufacture. I do happen to be a lean expert certified, for example, and got that in a factory, that kind of stuff. And the reason why I think that's important is because at the end of the day, sustainability has to be about how do you take these operations and make them operate with a reduced impact? And so I think that's a really, really good thing to have but it's definitely not sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, some of the, so I guess the, maybe the next most important characteristic I think 
is the ability to work across um, organizational structures, actually both internally and externally. Um, at Honeywell, we have a general counsel of ESG whom I work very closely with. And our general counsel for the company herself is, is very involved with our sustainability program and ultimately has the overall leadership of all of ESG. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, our general counsel, she's thinking about things like disclosure obligations, SEC regulations, what's the best position for us mm -hmm. with share, shareholders, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. But then you also have to liaison with, um, with uh, our communications and our government relations. But then also externally, you have to be able to both know what the rest of industry is doing, mm. but also one of the big sort of words in sustainability right now is collaboration. Yeah. And this is something that I think, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to do that better uh, without, you know, obviously any kind of antitrust concerns and things like that. But there's so we're talking about big infrastructure change here. Yeah. And that is going to require the different segments of industry to work together to envision, you know, it's not, you know, carriages and buggies anymore. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so it, those are the things, I guess, is strong grounding in operations, but then ability to collaborate across other areas. And I like that you mentioned collaboration because that is always key. That's always a... Um, word on that topic that we talk about with um, heads in that space. Um, this role of uh, the, the CSO is really coming into its own in recent years and effectively taking center stage. Uh, when you describe some of the stuff that needs to be done, it's like you need to be a diplomat, you need to be a negotiator, a financial guru, or even an industry expert, which you just mentioned. So briefly if you can define a successful CSO it's for those who are really in, interested in actually getting involved in that or wanting to be in that space what does that look like okay yeah. describe yourself <laughs> <laughs> well you know I think um I would say uh lots is in your control first of all deep deep understanding of how a company works mm -hmm. really really important if you are with a company like Honeywell that innovates very heavily in this area, about 60% of our R&D mm. goes to products that improve environmental and social outcomes. And so this is a big part of who we are. And you have to have the ability and the interest to understand what the company is doing for its customers. Um, those are the sort of things that are in your control, because what, what, you know, a company to a certain extent, you know, it's, it's like, what do we do inside our walls and what are we making that goes outside the walls? Mm -hmm. um, and then some is, uh, you know, if you can influence it, but it's somewhat outside their control. And that's things like senior leadership engagement. Our CEO is very engaged. Um, Darius Sadamchuk is, uh, he's leading this effort and he frequently gets, we brief him frequently on what is this going to entail? 
What is this going to mean for our product base? He's, you know, he's ultimately the strategic driver. Mm -hmm. And then we have a, um, what we call an ESG review board, mm -hmm. which um, I'm on. And then it's more importantly, our general counsel, our uh, chief, um, our, our VP of operations, essentially our CFO, um, our CIO, they are all on this board and now our new COO and uh, they, they're a board. We, we meet regularly. They understand the strategy. Mm -hmm. They give direction, support. So that's the thing that, you know, if you want to be a CSO, look for how your senior leadership is, is leading in this area. Mm -hmm. um, again, you can influence that, but without it, it's it's not it's probably not going to be successful. Hmm. And you know, we were all that's going on in terms of the climate issues. And as we get closer and closer to all these sort of target years, do you feel that the CSO will really have not just a seat on the board, but sort of the, the ear of the C the CSO, the CEO, sorry, in the same way that the CIO or the CFO. Um, currently have do you think the role will be uh, I don't know it will be seen in that sort of sense um I think that there will certainly be I mean it's going to be a number of years for better or worse yeah. before we are um before companies operate in a way that's consistent for example with the Paris Agreement um that's what people are striving for. And uh, that is going to be a long-term prospect. Um, and then I think that there will be a continuing expectation that, again, just as in the 20th century, they said, okay, the expectation is for corporations to have strong quality. I think that is going to become a permanent expectation of corporations to have a strong sustainability mindset. As you're innovating, what are you innovating for? Are you innovating something that will result in a sustainable outcome or an unsustainable outcome? That's always going to be important. And then finally, I think that green economy is kind of here to stay. Mm -hmm. um, you've seen like, you know, I've seen numbers like the UN uh, has come up with like, you know, it's a $4 trillion economy. And, you know, I don't know which number is right, but I think it's large. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that as long as that's where the demand is coming from, particularly companies like Honeywell that manufacture in this area are always going to need something leading them towards that. So my short answer, I guess, would be yes, I do believe it. And those that's the reasons why. All right. Okay, that's good. Um, final thoughts. And to end this episode of Heads Talk, um, Evan, you've, you've displayed it throughout the, the recording of the episode, but I'm going to ask anyway, how optimistic are you at the <laughs> ability of many yeah. of the organizations that were involved in your survey or not um, at achieving the ESG goals set? Yeah, I, I, I am optimistic. Um, it is always nervous making when you say we are going to transition in a way over the next decade or two decades 
that we can't necessarily tell you every detail of how we're going to get there. That always creates, you know, if I'm was going to build a car and I've built 10,000 cars, I could tell you how I'm going to build that car. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to build something else and I've got a lot of great ideas, but I can't tell you exactly how <laughs> it creates, you know, it's more, more nervous making, yeah. but the fact, the extent to which that is, is, is prompting innovation, I think is extremely, um, you know, it's really, it's cause for optimism. There are so many smart people out there and we're seeing the innovations come daily. So yeah, I am optimistic. Well, well I'm pleased to hear your optimism, especially with a lot of headlines saying we're too late, we're too late. I'm not going to sell papers, but uh, I'm happy to hear that. And now um, we have to do a hell of a lot more than just cross our fingers, I think. Um, yes. Evan Van Hook, it's it has been a good talk um, with you today on Heads Talk. Many thanks for your time and insights. Well, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. Talk and soon. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinational. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.